Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Good morning, church. Oh, that's pretty weak. Come on. Good morning, church. Everybody awake yet? All right. You know, it's kind of dark out there. It's a good place to sleep, so... Uh, don't, don't go to sleep too much. It's, it's a great joy to be here this morning, and uh, I count it an honor to be here to, uh, to speak. I know when I pastored, I was real careful about who I led in the pulpit, and so I, I just want to honor that, Pastor Steve, and um, I love my pastors and appreciate all that they do. Uh, most of you know me. Some of you I don't know. Uh, I discovered America in 1955. I'll let you do the math if you want to figure out how old I am. Uh, I grew up in a good family. It was not a Christian family. I'm the first preacher in my family and still am the only preacher in my family. I uh, married my high school sweetheart right back there, and in September, let's say that's four, four more months, we'll have been married to 36 years. 36 years. That's, I know I don't look that old, but what can I say? You know, we just married young and had our kids early. And um, uh, so we have three children, Andy, Amy, and Jonathan, three grandchildren. Um, um, I'm... I'm an aviation buff, a private pilot, a freelance writer, like to blog. Uh, probably the greatest victory in my life has been family. Uh, the greatest challenge has probably been my struggles with ADHD. Uh, but uh, thank God I'm, I'm here. And basically, I'm, uh, I'm just like you. I tell people all the time that preachers are just like you. The only difference is they have the gift to tell it. The only difference. They don't have the gift to live it. They've got to live it just like you do. I'm just like you do periodically. You know, I'll struggle with my prayer life. Periodically, I'm challenged to stay in the Word consistently like I need to. I get disappointed just like you do, right? The only difference between me and you is basically that I, uh, I just have the gift to tell it. And you have another gift probably that I don't have, whatever that gift is. So I just wanted to get it straight. I'm really nobody. I'm just like you. Uh, we're just all nobodies in God's sight, and uh, but it's good to be here this morning, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak this morning. Uh, my message today is going to be dealing with a topic that that God's really been dealing with me about probably since the for the last couple of years, but really strongly since the first of the year. And uh, the topic that I'm going to talk about this morning, I, I really don't claim to be an expert in it, but I do claim to know a little bit about it, and uh, uh, so I want to I try to talk about it a little bit, and uh, if you can grasp what I'm going to say today, I think it will give you an edge in reaching people. I think if you fail to grasp this, you're going to be a little handicapped in reaching this culture that we're living in today. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about reach. I'm talking about how to reach and how to understand the postmodern culture that we live in, how to reach, how to understand the postmodern culture that we live in. I believe we're in a precarious place in the church in America. Dangerous, precarious, primarily because the rules are changing in America. And I, what I mean by that is that the church has enjoyed home field advantage for over 200 years. What do you mean by home field advantage? Home field advantage simply means that, you know, you're playing on your court, you've got your fans there, everything is good. If you can't win at home, really, it's, it's, you can't win anywhere, basically. So in America, the church has had home field advantage for over 250 years. What do you mean? 
I mean, Christianity has been an acceptable uh, religion. It's been something that our forefathers, that's why they left England, because they were being persecuted for their religious, for their religious uh, activities. Uh, the government, so on and so forth, the Church of England put great pressure upon them. So they left and came to America, and they brought their Christianity with them. I mean, the Anabaptists came, the Quakers came, you know, there was a few Catholics, there was many other, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lutherans and all sorts of groups of people who came across on the Mayflower and the, all of the others that I've probably forgotten since, uh, since I learned that years ago. So we have enjoyed home field advantage for over 250 years. Forty years ago, the, the culture still favored the church. Forty years ago, Wednesday night, they didn't have ball games. Sunday nights, they didn't have ball games. As a matter of fact, 45 years ago, all the places of establishments were closed on Sundays. Remember that? Can anybody remember that? I know maybe a few of you can, all right? And then the culture started changing. It started shifting. And over the last 30 years especially, the culture has gotten so far to where that the church no longer has home field advantage in America. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go out on a limb. I believe we're living in a post-Christian era in America. We call ourselves Christian, but I think we are, in, are either entering into or have already come into a post-Christian era in America where Christianity is no longer kosher, where it's no longer conducive for us to operate. So we are playing on the road. Touch somebody and say, we've got to learn to play the game on the road. Would you do that? We've got to learn to play the game on the road. How many of you know that just because you have to play the game on the road doesn't mean that you've lost? Did you know that? It just means the rules change. Isn't that right, Coach? The rules change when you begin to play the game on the road. It's a different feel. It's different. You have to go about it different. I believe that the church in America has to recognize the fact that we have to retool ourselves to play on the road. Now, let me ask you this. Where did the first century church play ball at? At home or did they play ball on the road? The first century church started out on the road. Christianity was not accepted in the days of the apostles, of, you know, and of, of the early church. They played every game on the road when you stop to think about it, yet they evangelized the whole known world at that time. So what are you saying to us today? I'm saying to you today that we have to begin to think a little differently. We have to retool ourselves to play this game on the road because Christianity is not popular in America other than just by name. If you really live it, you're not going to be popular in America. Okay? So what do we do? What do we do? I believe we have to begin to exegete the culture to learn the environment in which we are playing the game in America and actually basically all around the world. I believe we have to, I'm using a theological term, it's called exegete. It simply means to draw out. To exegete a passage of Scripture means that you get your, your dictionaries out and, your, and your, all of your study helps and you pull out of that verse of Scripture the real meaning of that and you, and you draw it out. I believe we have to become a, a, a people who understand how to exegete the culture. I also believe we are walking on a fine line because we have to exegete the culture, yet at the same time we have to do what Jude said in Jude 3 where he said that we should embrace the faith that is once delivered to the saints. That's a fine line to walk. 
to understand the culture, yet not abandon the faith once delivered to the saints. So I believe we have to learn to reach, and in order to reach, we have to understand the people that we are reaching. I believe that we have scriptural precedent for exegeting the culture and understanding. For instance, in First in, uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 12, verse 32, uh, you will find that this scripture is referring to David. It's a big shift in the kingdom. It's a transition into a new era of leadership, into a new era for Israel. And uh, you can read that in First Chronicles in verse 1. It talks about all the different people who came to David from the different tribes. And then right down in the middle of that, in verse 32, it talks about the men of Issachar. I'll just read it here. Hang on a minute. It just, it just simply says, the men of Issachar who understood the times and who knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives were under their command. Right in the middle of this big transition, we find a group of people and if you'll notice all the rest of those, there were like 32,000 and 11,000 and 10,000. And right in the middle, we find a small number of people who really understood what was going on, the transition, the shift in the land at that season. And so right in the middle of there, the writer of Chronicles, who many believe might have been Ezra, inserts this and mentions 200 very important people who understood the times. I believe we have scriptural precedent for understanding the times, for understanding, for exegeting the culture enough to understand who we're trying to reach. Dr. Beecham can tell you, he's the director of World Mission, but he can tell you that a missionary's success or failure depends upon them understanding the culture of the people that they are trying to reach. Yet in America, we think we don't have to understand the culture. We do have to understand the culture, culture, but we have to walk that fine line of not, of not abandoning the faith once delivered to the saints. So I could give you lots of other scriptures. There's a scripture in the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 1 through 8. I'm not going to read that this morning. It's on your screen uh, if, if you want to look at it. Verse 8, scroll down to verse 8. That's where I'm going with that. Pardon me for, uh, for being in a little bit of a hurry. But verse 8, Jesus, he's giving this parable about, parable about an unwise uh, steward who wasted his master's goods. And then at the end, he, he gets this smart idea of trying to, uh, to, to cheat and shortcut a little bit. And then in verse 8, the gentleman says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Look at the next part of this verse. It says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. Wow, what an indictment against the people of light. He says that the people out there in the world know how to deal with their own better than my people know how to deal with them. Wow, what an indictment. We, we have a precedent to exegete, to draw out, and to understand the culture. So what I want to do this morning, very quickly... I'll try to have you out of here by two if that's all right. No, seriously, I know that we have another service, but I, I want to I I take you through a snapshot of, of postmodern culture. Now, let me say that every person on the planet has culture. Every people group, every nation, every race, we all have culture. The word culture is a, is a word that sociologists use to describe behavior, 
ideals to describe uh, belief systems, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a standard that, that people live by. So we're going to talk about culture. There's different kinds of culture. You know, there's Roman culture. There was Greek culture. There's Indian culture. There's Anglo culture. There's black culture. There's all kinds of culture. There's culture for the locker room, the sports world. There's culture for the media world. The culture is something that we all live. We're social creatures, and when we get together, we form boundaries and rules and set regulations for the people that we're with. Are you with me? So culture is not bad. We have church culture. That's right. We even have church culture and subcultures. It's just a part of the way that God made us. Now, the term postmodern is a compound word which meaning it's two words. First of all, it's post, which means after. It comes after. Modern is a term that used, it's used to describe an era of time, the modern era. Okay? Now, again, uh, sociologists have gone through time, and they have labeled different eras, different segments of time. Again, I said there's the Roman era, the Roman culture. There's the, the Greek culture, and all of these different eras of time all the way up to the present day that we live in. It's, it's just a pattern. You see it. It's just, it's just the way that it happens. So postmoderns is the generation that comes after what we call the modern era of time. How I many of you still with me? Are you still with me this morning? Good. All right. Now, the, the era of modernism, I want to give you a little history here to give you a snapshot of how postmoderns think. Now, what I'm going to tell you today about postmoderns, I'm not telling you that I agree with everything. I'm not telling you that I approve of everything of the way that postmodern culture thinks. I'm just telling you the way it is, okay? So don't go home and say that he's uh, real, real, you know, all postmodern, okay? I just want, I'm just going to give you a snapshot, all right? Now, so postmodern is the, is the generation or the culture that followed the modern era, now, many of us are from the modern era. I'm from the modern era. The modern era uh, basically began in the 1700s and went all the way up to, some people say, as, as late as the 1980s, okay? It was known as a time of enlightenment. It was a time of discoveries, of cures. I mean, just unbelievable amount of cures that took place during this time. The universe was explored. The whole world was explored. And we went from horse and buggy to a man on the moon in less than 100 years. My grandpa lived to be 96. He was born in 1898, and he died in, uh, in 19, uh, whenever that is, 80, uh, 98 year, 96 years. But he, when he was born, they were walking everywhere they went or else on horseback. When he died, a man had already been sent to the moon. Talk about rapid change. All that happened in the modern era. The mindset of the modern era was real objective. In other words, you know, it's, it's, it's this way and no other way. And the reason for that is because scientific discoveries and the age of scientific research had caused this generation to be real black and white. Well, we've proven this. We've proven that, okay? It was very authoritative. This is the way it is. Okay, so, but here's the problem that happened during this era. The modern era put a man on the moon, but they couldn't solve racism. The modern era cured polio and smallpox, 
but they can't stop poverty and starvation. The modern era created the atomic bomb, but they still can't get along with their neighbors across the border. So what happened is a gradual swing took place in the mindset of the next generation. And they begin to revolt against everything that modernism stood for. Someone said, this sounds like a history lesson. I'm trying to take you somewhere. I'm trying to help you to exegete the culture so you know how to play the game on the road. All right? So, you know, everything that modernism stood for, postmoderns revolted against. Instead of being, this is the way it is, postmoderns say, well, that's not the only way. There could be other ways. I mean, for instance, you told us there were, what, 12 planets. Now we've discovered two or three more new ones. I mean, you know, you said that's the way it is. Now you're discovering more planets in our, in our solar system. Right? They became more subjective. They became, oh, it's, it's many ways. It's pluralistic. And they have taken that to every, every dimension. And the fact is we're all affected by postmodern culture. All right? We are. You see, we call postmodernism, we call it a generation, but actually it's more like a culture. It's like an umbrella, a system of belief that spreads over a modern uh, 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 technological nations. All right? So, so all of us are affected by it. For instance, how many of you like to shop at a place where you can get your oil changed, you can go over and shop for your groceries. You can go to electronics and buy something. You can go and buy some clothes that you need, and then you can go out into the garden center and buy something to fix your barbecue with, and then you can go back and pick up your car, and you like it because there are so many options. How many of you like that? That's pluralism. That's a product of postmodernism. That's a simple version of it. So we're all affected by it to some degree. But true postmoderns take it to the nth degree and say that, well, your God isn't the only God, and your book isn't the only book, and your way isn't the only way. See? So I'm wanting to give you this morning a snapshot of postmoderns, and i got to hurry. i got to hurry. All right? So stay with me today. Stay with me today. Here's a snapshot of, of postmoderns. And again, I'm not going to tell you what to do with this. I'm just going to let you come up with some ideas. And I'm not and, and when I give you these snapshots, again, I'm not saying that this is the correct way to live. I'm just wanting you to see that this is the way postmoderns do life and the way they view life. And many of you are going to find that you have a lot of postmodernity in yourself, okay? All right, here we go. Number one. Let's look at this. Number one, you'll find that the postmodern generation does not want to be fixed as much as they want to be heard. Okay? Now, this is a problem for me because I'm a modern, a modernist. Modernists want to fix everything. Right? From our era, uh, uh, Warren, from our generation, we want to fix it. We want to fix it. Okay? So God began to deal with me about this. And, you know, I learned this by experience. I, uh, you know, um, let, let, me, let me just throw this out. And some of you don't blow the whistle and call me a heretic, but I'm going to tell you something. You're not called to fix everybody. Now, some of you is going to have to think about that a minute. Let me give you a more biblical paradigm. 
a more biblical paradigm is that I am called to help you take stewardship of your own life. You see, I didn't understand that when I pastored. I felt very compelled to fix everybody because that's the way I was trained, all right? I felt as though that I had to fix everybody. So when a family left my church, I felt personally responsible and thinking, maybe I didn't preach hard enough. Maybe, you know, when a family went through a divorce in my church where I was pastoring, I would take personal responsibility and I would say, if I would have just counseled them better. And you know what? I, one time I was praying over a family that caused me lots of problems, and I know that, uh, that that doesn't happen in this church, but I know that in where I pastored, I had a family that caused me a lot of problems, and I was really praying about that, Dr. Beecham, and I was, had been praying about that for weeks, and I was saying, oh, God, help me to change them, and I was just going through that. God, help me to change them, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke forcibly and said, change them, you change them. I've been trying to change them for years. And all of a sudden, I woke up and realized my job was not to change people. It was to come alongside people and to help them take personal responsibility for their own life. Now, when you stop to think about it, the Holy Spirit is called the helper, not the doer for you. That's what He does. He comes alongside of you, and He empowers you. He lives within you. He gives you grace. He gives you anointing and empowerment for you to act on what you know to do and take responsibility for your own life. So postmoderns don't want to be fixed as much as they want to be heard, all right? Now, here's a biblical, another biblical concept. The human soul wants to be heard. Have you ever heard anybody make this statement and say, nobody understands me? I can't find anybody that understands me. You know what? That's a cry. That's a cry to be heard. David said in the Psalms, I cried unto the Lord and he, deep within the heart of every human being is a great need to be heard. Now, a lot of people want to be heard on issues that they're wrong about. Correct? But still, there is a great need of people to be heard. And if you want to connect with postmoderns, you have to stop trying to fix them quite so much. I'm not saying people don't need to get fixed, okay? I'm just saying you need to learn to listen and to hear. Amen? And that's hard for me because I was not trained to do that. So... That simply means that we must become better listeners. Most Christians are not good listeners. You know, for me as a teacher, I have a teaching gift. For me, the way I fix people was always recommended under the book. Here, read this article, read this book, and it'll fix you. You know, there's not one size for fit all. There really isn't. Because we're all so different. We're all so different. So I, I believe to reach postmoderns, we have, to, we have to be able to hear them. We have to hear them out. We don't have to agree with them. We don't have to affirm what they believe. But we have to learn to relate with people. You know, some of the greatest people that have been in my life are people that just listened to me and just heard, heard me out and then in the right season spoke into my life the things that I needed to hear. So the first thing, the first snapshot is postmoderns don't want to be fixed as much as they want to be heard. And I'm not saying that's totally right. 
I'm just saying to you that's the way they are. So you have to, you have to devise a way to reach them where they're at. You see, the churches many times, and I say this uh, not critically, but a lot of times we, we, uh, when there's a shift taking place in culture, in any culture, usually, and Jesus compared it to uh, wineskins, and he said, no one having tasted the old will say that the new is better. We know he was talking about the new covenant and the shift over into uh, the, the church age, what he was talking about, but that same principle applies to everything. You know, uh, I still think modernism is better. <laughs> but you know what? Modernism is really not coming back. Postmodernism did not catch God by surprise. It does not scare him. He's not sitting up there thinking, well, there's no way I can reach the world now. He's not sitting up there thinking the church does, is, might as well fold up and go to the fort and quit. Because, no, 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 no. Didn't scare God at all. Secondly, notice post, a postmodern generation thrives on authenticity. Now, this is tough for me, too, because as a boomer, I'm a baby boomer, we have been taught that you fake it till you make it. Don't tell anybody what you're going through. And I do believe we need to have a little bit of wisdom when we're sharing stuff. Don't pull all your skeletons out of the closet. You'll scare everybody to death, okay? But yet, as a baby boomer, I was always taught, don't ever just keep it to yourself. Just hold it inside. And I suffered because of that. I went through a lot of burnout. And I experienced a meltdown physically and emotionally in my own ministerial life at one time. But boomers like authenticity. By authenticity, I'm talking about realness, being real. James puts it this way in James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The word fault there in the old King James is really the Greek word hamartia, which simply means sin. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell you how you sinned this. No, I'm just kidding. How often do we do this in church? You see, and I'm as guilty as anybody, all right, so I'm preaching to myself. But you know what? And even the churches I pastored, I realize that now looking back, I made everybody check their realness at the door when they came in. But postmoderns, they don't have any trouble with authenticity. They don't mind telling you that they've had three STDs, and they've been divorced twice, sexually transmitted diseases. They don't mind telling you that. They don't mind you telling you they've been divorced and they're currently addicted on something. I'm serious. That's, that's, you know, they're tired of this front and this plasticness, so they just they revolted against that modernism that said you've got to put your mask on, and they are just totally frank, bare with their friends and peers and their groups and basically with anybody. Amen? So, you know, we have to learn how to, how to be transparency. I'm convinced we need more war stories from the pulpit. Again, not preachers just pulling all their skeletons out, but just getting up and saying, hey, you know what? I'm struggling with my prayer life this week. Because, you see, we try to have altar calls, and people won't respond because we don't let them be authentic. Maybe we don't let them. Maybe they're afraid to be authentic. They're afraid to be authentic. Okay? Now, again, 
As leaders, we need to be wise who we share what with. However, you know, we should never be, you know, up on a pedestal like, that's why I told you that I'm just like you. I just have the gift to tell it. I don't have the gift to live it. Okay? So they love authenticity. They love realness. Okay? So as, as people, I'm a life coach, and, and we teach our coaches to be authentic. We teach them to catalyze, to start it. In a coaching relationship, if you don't connect with the person you're coaching, life coaching, within the first two sessions, it's over because they can't really tell you what they want to tell you. So we teach our coaches that you, you, you catalyze it. You start it. You tell them a story about yourself. Don't pull out all your skeletons. But tell him something. My life coach, when he began training me, he shared about how he worked at Kodak, and he did this, and he did that. And then he said, when I was 37 years, I went th- years old, I went through a tragic divorce. And you know what happened when he said that to me? The wall went down between he and I because I knew this guy's real. He's telling me this right up front. He's real. And you know what? I had a great relationship as he trained me to be a life coach. So, so postmoderns thrive on authenticity. And you're going to have to to understand, and you're going to have to learn how to be that way. Let's move on here. Number three, postmoderns thrive on experiencing the journey. Okay? The reason for this is the old era, the, the modern era, was cut and dried. It was, this is the way it is, scientific evidence, data proves it. They overemphasized facts and data, and the, li- and the, and the world was becoming cold and lifeless. How many of you remember the old Dragnet show, Sergeant Friday? Some of you may not remember Dragnet. I watched it when I was a boy. If you remember Dragnet, raise your hand. <laughs> Sergeant Friday, the famous statement was, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. He's interviewing a lady that witnessed a crime, and she's just all over the place, and he says, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. That epitomizes the modern era. Postmoderns are tired of that. They want to feel something. They want to experience some passion. They want to feel it. Where do you think extreme sports came from? From the postmodern era. It's a revolt against dead, dry stuff out there. I mean, they want to bungee jump now. They want to jump out of airplanes now. I I fly an airplane, but I don't think I will ever jump out of one. You know, they want to ride these four-wheelers and do these jumps 30 and 40 feet up in the air and let their feet fly back behind them and they fall on handlebars and all this stuff. Extreme sports is born out of the postmodern revolt against modernism. And then we come to church and we bring them to our dead. Our formal, of course, this church isn't that way, but Americans bring them to their dead, their formal, their dry church, and no wonder Americans are dropping out in record number from churches. They're tired of it. They want to experience God. That's why us Pentecostal charismatics have an advantage. We have an experience to offer along with information and knowledge. Amen? Some churches are now calling their services experiences. It's to reach a a culture. 
that is tired of that has a mindset about lifeless church. All right? So, hey. Postmoderns want to experience the journey. They want to experience something. That's why they, you know, some of that's why these interactive video games, computer games. It's experience. You know? You know, the more detailed, the better. I'm not for all that blood and guts, but I mean, I'm wanting you to understand where they're coming from. They're tired of test tube life. They want to experience something in life. That's, that's the generation we're trying to reach. Amen? Amen. Let's look at another one. I could talk a lot more about each one of these, but I want to get through them. Postmoderns crave community. They like to hang out. The postmodern culture, especially the younger generation, likes to hang out together. Not only that, they like to stay in touch. Where do you think the texting craze, the Twitter craze came from? By the way, I Twitter. Hey, Coach John, just look me up, and you can see what I'm doing. Sometimes. When I remember to Twitter. Where does all this social networking and social... Uh, uh, media, internet, you know, there's even social bookmarkings. How many of you have ever used a social bookmark? Nobody here? Am I the only one that uses a social bookmark? A social bookmark is, is where I go in, maybe let's say I'm a teacher. It's called DIGG, D-I-G-G. Ah, some of you writing that down. You'll be looking up my social bookmarks. And I categorize myself. I'm not meaning to get off in this. I'm just wanting you to see this as a teacher, let's say. So I go out and I find all these sites, and I'm looking for a site that's going to help me plan my third grade lesson. And, and here I bookmark 15 sites. Somebody over here joins uh, DIG, that's what it's called, DIG.com, and they see me as a teacher. They check out all of my bookmarks, and they say, Aha, I know John, and he's teaching from this page. He's teaching from this site. I'm going to go check it out. So here you have all these people that are kind of in some way connected, checking each other out, their likes, their dislikes. It's called social bookmarking, believe it or not. Where does that come from? Right here. Community. Now, see, the modern era, we think of community as sitting in the same room together, and that is community. For me, I like that kind of a community. But the, the, the newer generation just sees community as connecting. That can be over, over the... Uh, internet, that can be over Twitter, that can be over a text, you know, uh, most most uh, 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 college age and down will tell you now that email is out, it's texting, it's about texting. If you want to get a hold of all your students on a college campus, never email them because most of them won't read their email very well. But if you want to get a hold of all of them, get a texting system and they'll all text. My sons, I can call them, they won't answer, I text them, they'll text me right back. What is that? That's community. Postmoderns crave community, okay? Why? It's because we live in, an, in a generation that families are torn apart. We've got siblings living with one parent and the other parent, and they're no longer together. We've got grandparents that, whose uh, grandkids live on the other side of the nation or in another state or in a, a neighboring city, and, and we're just so disconnected. And, 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 and you know, so, so we crave for community, Okay? 
The buzzword in America is connect. That's the buzzword. That's why cell phone technology, that's why cell phone is, is, is the going thing. It's because that's the buzzword in America. Most people have shallow relationships and they want to connect. But I've got, to, I've got to tell you that it's going to take more than a cell phone to connect with your kids. It's going to take more than a cell phone to connect with your spouse. Although cell phones are good and they do help, right? So, so we have to become a, 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 a group of people who connect, who connect, you see. You see, that's why I like Pastor Steve and what he's done here because you know what postmoderns are looking for when they walk into a church? They're looking for a couch. They're looking for tables and chairs and a coffee shop and a donut. Thank you, sister. You know why they're doing this? Right here. If they can't connect, if they cannot connect in your church, they won't stay very long. Unless they're just connected with somebody, whatever. So we have to find ways to connect, okay? And I, I think Pastor Steve is, is great at that. You know, we have to connect. Fifthly, I want you to notice that postmoderns are high-tech. Now, do I particularly like being high-tech? You know, it, it takes a lot of my time to do this. It takes a lot of my time to Twitter. I really don't have time to do that. It takes a lot of my time to blog. But why do you do that? Why do you do that, John? I'm going to tell you why. It's about reaching. It's about understanding culture. It's about stop me stopping to try to get them to be like me and trying to come to me and try, me trying to go where they are whilst at the same time embracing the faith once delivered to the saints. Okay? So postmoderns are high tech. Cell phones, you know, uh, uh, wireless. Uh, you know, i got to tell you this story. My father's 80 years old. He was here this weekend. And uh, about a year ago, ago, he bought a computer, and he didn't know how to use it, so I was down at his house. and So he had the mouse. I said, this is a mouse, Dad. He picked it up and looked at it and put it back down. I mean, this is a guy that's never had an answering machine. He has had a wireless telephone in his house. And he just bought his first cell phone, and he's just learning to text. Okay, but anyway, I, he picks up that mouse, and I said, "See this pointer on the screen right here?" I said, "You know, you have to move it with this mouse." So, so I, so it was over here on the right side of his screen, you know. And I said, "Dad, move it over here, all the way over to the left." So he takes his mouse, and he starts over, and he gets to the end of the pad, and he looks up at me and says, "I run out of pad." And I said, "Dad, just I took his hand. I go, just pick the mouse up." Come back over to the other side and keep doing this until you get to where you're going. And he's he's kind of he's kind of getting into this thing now, coach. He started texting. I can't believe it. Postmodernism is affecting dad. He's realized if he wants to communicate, he's gonna have to do do that, you know. So postmoderns are high tech. You know, I hear a lot of people in a lot of churches say, you know what, that's just, you know, that's newfangled stuff. You know, I just, just, I, I'm not going to get involved in that. Then you can forget about reaching postmoderns. I'm not just talking about the younger generation. I like it. I like these TVs. I like all these lights and the smoke, you know. Okay. 
So, so postmoderns are high tech. Now, this isn't a slam if you're not high tech and saying that you're not, not anything that you need to be. I'm just trying to inform you. I'm giving you a snapshot uh, of, of postmoderns and the way they think and how we're going to connect with them. Okay? All right, man. I mean, Windows made it easy. We can, we can, you know, we can do a lot of things in Windows now. So postmoderns are high tech. Let's move on real quickly. Number six, postmoderns don't like top-down lecturing. Now, immediately, most of you thought I said they don't like preaching. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. I, did, I didn't say they don't like preaching. What, they, what that means is they don't like people looking down on them. Down on them. Like they're better than they are. Okay? I mean, really, most humans don't like that anyway. Because really, it's a level playing field. I, I told you that earlier. I'm just like you, except different. <laughs> but basically, just like you. And we're all different. So postmoderns don't particularly care for top-down lecturing. And, they, and, and those who are really postmodern take that to the infinite inf degree, and they become rebellious against society, which is wrong. Okay, but the post, the, but the modern era was very, you know, you do this because I'm the expert, you know. And, you know, I believe there are experts. I would like to think that I'm, I'm a, 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 a spokesperson in the coaching field. I write about it. I study it. I, write, I, I research about it. I would like to think I am an expert, but when I come across as somebody that, you don't know anything, buddy. Let me tell you the way it is. Hmm. Postmoderns don't like that. Even moderns really don't like that for the most part. Okay? The reason is postmoderns like to arrive at their own conclusions, which is good and bad. It's good and it's bad. That means that many of them are thinkers. Many of them have creative ability. That's why a little guy by the name of Sergi Brin can get out of college, come up with some uh, 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 algorithms, and form a company called Google, which is the Russian word for Google, which means one to the hundredth decimal point, which simply is a euphemism to talk about something very big. Google, very big. That was his idea. He thought he had something in him, and he did. So it's good that they want to discover on their own, but it's bad that they won't listen to anybody that does know something, right? Okay, so so postmoderns don't like top-down lecturing. Most most of my most of my training in in the modern era was top-down. A lot of ministers now are learning. You know, most of my preaching is deductive preaching, which simply means that I tell you my fact right up front. I'm going to preach on this. Then I'm going to preach on it and prove to you that my fact statement was true. That's called deductive preaching. You start out with a deduction, with a, 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 an assumption, a statement, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love to preach that way. I still preach that way. But that's mo more the modern era. The postmodern era is, is, is inductive, which means I'm not going to tell you where I'm going until you follow me all the way through. Then I'm going to slam you when you get there. 
Jesus did that. He was preaching to a bunch of Pharisees one time, and he stood up and he says, I'm going to tell you a parable he told about this guy that bought a vineyard and he leased it out to another group and he kept sending people to get the wages from it. I'm, par I'm paraphrasing a little. And finally he sent his son, they killed his son, and all these people are sitting on edge and wondering where he's going with this story. And then he slams him with the Scripture. He says, have you never read what the Scripture said? That the, the chief cornerstone, that has, uh, the, 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 chief corner, the, the stone has become the chief cornerstone. He was saying, I am that chief cornerstone. He slammed them at the very end. And people went away saying, was he talking about the Pharisees? It's called inductive preaching. That's hard for me to do because I wasn't trained that way. I tried it the other day in chapel, and I think it worked. I brought my scripture about halfway through. Postmoderns love narratives and story. So I'm, I'm just telling you that some of our retooling needs to be rethought through as we try ministry on the road here in America. I have two more, one more point, and I'm through. Postmoderns love narratives and stories. Why do you think the movie industry is booming? Someone said because they're the best-looking people. Not particularly. Someone said because they're the brightest. Not particularly. They just got their break. I'm going to tell you why the movie industry is booming. It's because of the stories. Don't you love a good storyline? Don't you love a story, something with a good theme all the way through it? And just, ah, man, you think about that theme. You know, movies tell us a story, and that appeals to postmoderns. That's why they're building new theaters on every corner. It's because postmoderns love a story. You have got a story. See, learning models are shifting in America. You have got a story. Jesus told all kinds of stories. Many times when they asked Jesus questions, he never answered them. Matter of fact, he himself asked over 300 questions. Many times he would tell a story and not even answer them. He would lead them on a journey of a discovery of truth and let them draw their own conclusions. And then he would let their own conscience convict them. That's different for us. Remember the little woman caught in the act of adultery? He didn't preach a sermon. He just bent down. He wrote something. Probably wrote down, where's the man? Because Levitical law required they both be stoned to death. And then he slammed them at the end. Postmoderns love a story. You've got to get your story together. Tell them something about your past. Tell them something about your passion. Tell them something about your, your greatest victory in life. Tell them something about your greatest challenge so you can be authentic. And they'll listen. They love stories. Okay? Finally, postmoderns prefer dialogue over monologue as a way of teaching or learning. Learning models are rapidly shifting in America, and technology's changed people, and our culture has changed the way people think. Attention spans are shorter, and here I'm preaching for 45 minutes. Sorry. That's the modernism coming out in me. We think we have to preach an hour, and, or we haven't preached. I'm sorry. But modern, you know, learning models are shifting. The question we should ask ourselves is not is the church teaching, 
but all the people hearing. We're still teaching. Are the people hearing? So, so, you know, I'm not saying this is the only learning model. But postmoderns like to talk about it. And studies have shown that adult learners learn better in conversation than they do just in only lecturing. I think we need both, lecturing and discussion. The reason is anyone under 18 years of age, let's see this glass up here in my hand, and let's say we're filling it up with little dots. I mean, they have no knowledge about 1 plus 1 equaling 2. Right? So we're filling that up with knowledge. But when you become an adult, you have a lot of experience, you have a lot of knowledge, and not only do you just put more dots in the glass when they become adults, the dots have to mix with everything that's already in there. They have to take that and put it with their, through their grid and their experience and their, their background and all of this. And sometimes it helps them to be able to talk about it. I like Pastor Steve sending home the little uh, drive card where we can talk about what we heard preached and taught. So postmoderns prefer dialogue over monologue as a way of learning. That's not to say that that's, a, that's the only way to teach. That's why book clubs are so big right now. That's why e-groups where people can dialogue about stuff online are so big. It's postmodern thinking. So are you ready to reach a postmodern generation? Are you ready to play the game on the road? I believe we're on the road. Stand up with me this morning, if you would, please. Now, you're going to have to come up with a way of how to make this happen. Passion stories. There you go. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us to reach this morning, Lord. Lord, it's, it's, a, it's a new generation. It's a different generation. This is not our father's Oldsmobile. Lord, it's game time on the road. Grant us the grace, Lord, to embrace the faith once delivered to the saints. And at the same time, exegete and understand the culture and reach this generation. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.